Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? This is Luke from Luke's English Podcast, and my series of World Cup episodes continues in this one. Now, look, I know that some of you might be fed up with the World Cup at this stage, and I completely understand. Some of you just might not be into football. And you might be thinking, oh, what, really, Luke, you too? Have you been bitten by World Cup zombies as well? Because everyone else seems to be completely obsessed with the World Cup at the moment. But not Luke from Luke's English Podcast as well. Well, look, if you, if you can't stand football, then I do apologise. And let me reassure you, okay, let me reassure you that this is just a phase, okay? It's just a phase that I'm going through. And once the World Cup's finished, it'll be back to normal podcasting as usual. In fact, I might upload some other stuff before the end of the World Cup. But at the moment, it's just, I'm, I'm a little obsessed by the World Cup. And I think a lot of people in the world are too. In fact, I know that plenty of my listeners are really enjoying these World Cup episodes. And it's just, um, you know, it's like an international thing. Uh, but don't worry, normal podcasting will be resumed in due course. All right. But for now... I'm sticking to the World Cup. Now, this episode was supposed to be uh, my brief history of the World Cup, okay? And I, I kind of collected information from Wikipedia, from my own memory and my own knowledge, and also my dad, uh, Rick Thompson, otherwise known as Wikipedia sometimes. Why is he called Wikipedia? Because he sort of, he knows everything, uh, he knows something about everything, but the things he knows may not be completely reliable. So that's why we call him Wikipedia. Um, so I did produce a history of the World Cup based on some stuff I found online, some things I knew already, and some contributions from my dad. And you know what? I started recording it. And as I was reading it, I was thinking, this is, this is just, this is not interesting. This isn't interesting enough. It's not engaging enough. It's just me reading a script. It's not fun. It's not good enough. And so in the end, I've decided, no, I'm not going to do my complete history of the World Cup. I'm not going to deny you that information because it's you'll find all of it on this website. Uh, you'll find it on the web page for this episode. But what I'm going to do instead is just let you listen to a conversation that I had with my dad about the 1966 World Cup. And that's when England won it. It was hosted in London. It's the only time that England have won the World Cup and may be the only time we ever win in the future based on the way we've been performing recently. Now, I know that England are out of the World Cup now. Um, I think the last time I spoke to you on the podcast was before our game against Uruguay. Well, we lost that game um, and um, so we're out of the World Cup. But I'm not going to go on about it much more because... Um, well, I mean, I'm not going to complain about it a lot because a lot of countries 
didn't even qualify for the finals at all. So, you know, I shouldn't really complain. Um, but yeah, I'm obviously I'm gutted that England are out, but I'm still following the World Cup. I'm still fascinated. It's still great to see all these footballing nations competing with each other. Um, but I'm not going to give you my entire World Cup history. It's just too long and it's just too many details. You, you don't want to know. You don't really want to know how many goals um, Italy scored in 19... 19- sort of 1934 do you if you do want to know that then you can go to you can find episode 190 and just scroll down and you'll find the script that i was going to read to you and you can just read it you can just read it in your own head but i'm sorry i'm not uploading it because um it just wasn't interesting enough all right my quality control my my principles and my my quality control department in my head just said no sorry we can't pass this we're not allowing this to be published it's too dull um all right so so there you go all right so what i'm going to do is just play you a conversation with my dad um about the 1966 world cup and some other stuff all right so that's what you're going to listen to now here we go um rick thompson in conversation um and uh it's going to start right now now so okay so i'm now joined by uh, my dad rick thompson on the podcast not for the first time you've been on it before haven't you dad hello luke yes i have do you remember the uh, occasions when you've appeared in the past <laughs> well i haven't appeared recently i've um, uh, I, I can't really remember now <laughs> you were on the second ever episode which was all about easter do you remember that we talked about oh. Easter oh, yeah. eggs, Easter and, traditions, yes. And you also appeared on your own episode, all devoted to you, called Wikipedia. Oh, that's right. People sent in questions about anything, and I had to try and answer them. <laughs> yeah. And as you said, Wikipedia was quite a good name because it's unreliable. Yeah, you seem to have an answer for everything, but it's not necessarily <laughs> completely reliable. Um, and also, you appeared on. You've appeared on other episodes too. There was one in which. Um, uh, I recorded us all having conversations and debates about things around the table at Christmas time. You, you might not remember that. Yes, I, yes, I do vaguely remember that one. But now it's high summer. It is. It and is. Um, I hope our conversations help uh, help your listeners uh, listen to English as it is spoken and also find it reasonably entertaining. Let's just hope so, shall we? Let's hope they're being entertained by this. They, you never know, they might all be completely fed up with the World Cup at this point. Well, I'm sure that it's a bit divisive. You'd think the entire world is obsessed with the World Cup, but of course there's plenty of people who aren't interested in football and they've got nothing else to watch on the TV, so they're probably a bit uh, um, unhappy about it. But, um, of course, it, it comes around every four years, and if you have got any interest in football at all, it's fantastic, first of all. So, um, yeah, I love it. Yes, yeah. I mean, I'm not normally that bothered by football, but when the World Cup comes around, I just get sort of seized by World Cup fever, and that's what's going on at the moment. So I'm in the middle in this episode. Um, I'm in the middle of um, my own sort of brief history of the World Cup, and we've got to the point where I'm dealing with the 1966 World Cup, which, um, as we all know, took place in England, in London, uh, in 1966. And so I know that you were there at the time. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about it. Um, yes, I, can, I certainly can. The, the, the um, uh, 
uh, it'll feel like ancient history to a lot of your listeners, 1966. Uh, um, uh, I was just waiting to go to college at that time, and my brother and I had got two tickets to go to Wembley for the first match, the opening match, where the Queen was there, and I declare this World Cup open. (laughs) And uh, we played Uruguay, who um, we are playing this evening. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, so the opening match was against Uruguay, and it was a deadly dull nil-nil draw. Okay. Um, and, uh, I mean, the opening match is quite... Normally, people say, oh, quite likely to be a draw because teams don't want to lose their first game in the group stages. Uh, but this year has proved different. There's been loads of goals in the first first round games. Anyway, that was um, the first match, and then we had tickets for a semi-final. And you had wow. to get... Tickets not knowing who the semi-finalists were going to be, but we just decided we'd go to a semi-final. And much to our astonishment, England had got through and were playing Portugal uh, in this semi-final. And uh, Portugal were one of the hot favourites. Yes, they were one of the top teams in the world at that point. Yes, they had one of the best players in the world, a bloke called Eusebio, Mm. who was stunning, uh, very, very skillful, very fast. And um, so... Well, nobody had really expected England to do that well uh, because basically it was a it was a kind of a workhorse team. There were one or two flair players. Bobby Charlton was the big flair player, and the goalkeeper was probably the best in the world, Gordon Banks. Yeah. But the but a lot of the players were quite slow. Um, Jeff Hurst, who played up front and ended up scoring a hat-trick, was really quite a slow player. And alongside him was a guy called Roger Hunt, who was even slower. Right. And, um, you know, it, it, it didn't look like a dazzlingly brilliant team. So can, I just, they, sorry, can I just ask you about the two expressions you used there? One thing you said was that they were a workhorse team, and the other one was that they, you mentioned flair players. Um, what do you mean by flair players, Actually. Well, flair is is um, uh, it's probably taken from the French, but it it uh, it means playing with some kind of style, with some kind of um, verve, with um, creativity, mm. flair and creativity go together. Yes, exciting. exciting skills and things. We see flair. I mean, f- uh, every player is expected to have some level of flair these days, aren't they? Um, but I mean, back in those days, it wasn't necessarily something that every player had. But um, the Brazilians are well known for having flair, of course, the South Americans in general. So it's, you know, you look at players like Messi and the way he controls the ball. It's exciting to watch. So you can definitely say he has flair. Yes, indeed you can. Incredible skill, but also the ability to do something unexpected. Mm, yeah. And um, the other one was that England were a workhorse team. Well, yes, it's an expression that basically, obviously, it relates to different kinds of horses. There are racehorses, which are thoroughbreds, and there are workhorses, which plod along and, you know, maybe pull the plough through the fields. I mean, when I say a workhorse team, they were regarded as being solid, uh, genuine, but not particularly brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, at the time that you went to the semi-final... At Wem- uh, was it at Wembley? Yes, it was. Okay. Um, how old were you? You must have been 19 or something? Uh, 18, I think. 18 or 19, yes. 18 years old. Wow, it must have been amazing. And you were, you were living in London in 1966? That's right, living in South London. How, how was it, by the way, at the time in, in London at that, at that, during that year? <laughs> 
Well, uh, there was obviously a lot of excitement um, about England's progression in the World Cup, as I say, rather unexpected. Um, uh, and the, the, the scene in London generally, if that's what you mean, it was a, it was very different. The the there wasn't nearly as much traffic. Um, mm. And uh, obviously, it's become incredibly busy and crowded, multicultural city. Yeah. Uh, in those days, it was it was rather calmer, and uh, and it wasn't so jammed up. Yeah. Um, and I worked a little bit in London, commuting in on a train. The idea of not getting a seat on the train, you know, never occurred to you. It, yeah. it, so it's just less crowded. Right. I, for some reason, have this idea in my head that uh, London in 1966 was all sort of swinging London and Mary Quant miniskirts and kind of Austin Powers, you know, running around going groovy, baby, you know, like kind of the Beatles jumping out of taxis and and uh, that kind of thing. But uh, I suppose that was only a small part of the scene, uh, it, isn't it, really? Yeah, part, of, part of London was absolutely like that, Luke. Yes. Um, the, um, I worked for about six months uh, before I went to college in an advertising agency right in the middle of the, uh, you know, the creative part of London, yes. not far away from Wardour Street in a place called Upper St. Martin's Lane. Soho. Uh, yeah. And, um, I mean, it was like that. People were dressed extravagantly. Um, there was uh, lots going on. Uh, people were groovy baby. <laughs> and working in this advertising agency at, at my age, um, they, they just let me do all sorts of things because I was young. So this was a good thing. And yeah. so if I had an idea, it must be a good one. You know, so um, it was anything was possible. And it was very, very exciting. And lots of music uh, everywhere as well. I suppose the World Cup, sort of managed to capture some of that spirit as well i mean it just became part of what was probably a very exciting time um so tell me about the semi-final what happened it's semi-final yes so there we go we go to see england versus the brilliant portugal we were standing behind one of the goals in those days you would stand yeah. okay in large parts of the ground of course there was some seating but there were still big standing areas behind the goals yeah um, and uh, I think, you know, Wembley Stadium had about 100,000 people in it, which uh, is quite a lot uh, by its present capacity. Mm. Um, mm. And, um, uh, of course, uh, the um, uh, it, it, Bobby Charlton scored a goal down the far end. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and then they equalised. Um, and then we scored another. Yeah. Charlton again, yeah. and we're thinking, can't believe this, you know, we're beating <laughs> Portugal, and um, it was, uh, you know, the clock was ticking, and we thought, you know, we're going to hang on here and get through to the final, couldn't believe it, mm -hmm. and then um, they all, they were attacking the goal at our end, Portugal were attacking and attacking, trying to score the equaliser, yeah. and with about two minutes to go, their captain, a bloke who played right back i can't quite remember his name kaluna i think his name is kaluna right. ball came out to him just on the edge of the penalty area and he hit it incredibly hard it was going right into the top corner <laughs> straight straight at us you know we could yeah. see it coming straight for us and coming to the top corner and i've never heard uh you know fifty thousand people all suck in their breath together yeah you know <gasps> the whole the whole stadium went <gasps> like that yeah and uh, then Gordon Banks's fingers appeared and tipped it over the bar. Oh, wow. Amazing save. 
was an amazing save. Wow, it sounds it sounds incredible. And so, uh, so England went on to, to the final. I didn't see the final. Um, uh, believe it or not, I had to see the highlights later because I was travelling down to the West Country in my car. Oh, um, so I didn't actually see it live, which is a pity. But um, obviously people who study these things will know that we played Germany. Germany were also very, very strong. Yeah. And it was a fascinating game. And, um, you know, it went into extra time when they equalised with just seconds to go. Mm-hmm. And then Jeff Hurst hit the bar and the ball came down and the linesman and the referee gave the goal. But subsequent replays show they didn't quite cross the line. Yeah. And then we went on to score another, so we won 4-2. So, I mean, it, it was great, great joy and rapture, but England have never won the World Cup again, mm-hmm. and I'm afraid it'll be a long time before they do. Do you think they can do it this time? No, I don't. Really? You think it's impossible? I mean, as, as we are talking, um, we're just uh, about three hours off England playing their second game against Uruguay. Uh-huh. And if they lose it, they're out. Um uh, if they win it, uh, that changes the thing altogether. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't have a very good feeling about uh, this. The, the other players uh, in this World Cup, some of them are absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And I hope I'm going to be proved wrong, but I, I, I can't really say that I think England are as good as um, you know, Holland or Germany or, or Brazil. Or even Chile. I mean, they were... Well, Chile looking good, aren't they? Chile, again, I mean... At this point in the tournament, while this is being recorded, um, yesterday Chile beat Spain 2-0. I mean, Spain, it's a, it's a pity, but maybe their time as uh, being the world champions is kind of over because that group of players who were so fantastic together, they've, they're a little bit older now and they maybe don't have the energy or the spirit uh, to, to keep on you know, pushing. And they got thoroughly smashed to pieces by. Yes, I, I mean five-one. Not four. I think I said four-one on my last podcast, but it's actually five-one. They, they lost five-one to Holland, yeah. and then they lost two-nil to Chile. Yes, and Chile just looked just uh, tough. They just yeah, they looked tough, tough and determined. I mean, there's something about the World Cup that is about character as well as anything else. Yeah, and I mean, I don't want to. Uh, stereotype the Spanish in any way at all. I'm talking about their players, and I think some of their players um, don't react well if they go a goal behind. Yeah, you think they're um, a bit. Sort Spain, of... Spain are great when they're winning, uh, but when they're not, uh, they don't seem to know what to do. Oh, okay, that's interesting. It is. In, it is very interesting. The whole thing about it being in the mind. It's all in the mind, isn't it? It's about character and about uh, um, uh, getting into the right frame of mind. Well, I think that's right. And we go back all the way back to 1966. And I said this: the expectations weren't very high of the England team. They did have fantastic determination and character. Mm. And um, the captain, Bobby Moore, was an inspirational guy. Yeah. And and um, and changed the play you know and and uh, um they had um people would run 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 and run and run forever you know a little guy called alan ball yeah uh who little, little alan ball, he yes he did have a high he was a very small guy and he had a very high <laughs> voice but he just ran all over the pitch uh, and all the way through extra time when everybody else was completely tired out and could hardly walk yeah. ball was still running like mad uh because you know he was just so keen to win yes okay well i sincerely hope that our players can muster up the same level of determination as we did um 
all those years ago. God, how long ago is it now? It's a long time years? ago. 50 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, let's just see. Well, there's only one way to find out and just actually watch the game and just see what happens. I'm, I'm already sort of on the edge of my seat, uh, to be honest. I'm, I'm really captured by this World Cup. So, I think they think that um, it, it it's been really good so far with some some you know a lot of goals and um, the usual kind of controversies. You're always going to get controversies, uh, but I don't think you know there've been too many total blunders by the uh, referees so far. Yeah. Um, you can argue about some of these close decisions, and I'm afraid I, I hate the way players throw themselves down yeah, when they're just touched. It seems to me there's a difference between being touched and falling over or being kicked down or pulled down, yeah. and I hope the referees stay stay tough on that, and if somebody you know throws themselves down because somebody's brushed his leg, um, you know, the commentators have things like, well, there was contact contact isn't the point yeah. did, he, did he kick him down or didn't he it's a contact sport i mean it's, it's indeed not, it is it's not basketball so i hope that the referees stay tough on the play acting well, and that um you know it continues to be good the, the we've had one or two great goals fellaini's header um was a, just a terrific goal he plays for belgium oh yes Sorry, and I just said that basketball was a contact sport. Uh, was not a contact sport. No, it's not a contact. No, sport. it is a contact sport. Basketball. Oh, never mind. Let's not get into this debate about. <laughs> you can't touch a player if he's got the ball. Oh, okay. So it's not a contact sport. I was correct. I was correct. Listen, you are. I was. I should have trusted my instincts. But um, you're saying there there have been some really great goals so far. Yeah, I think there have been some good goals, and uh, obviously Van Persie playing for Holland looks fantastic. And um, and I'm just saying that uh, this guy Fellaini came on when Belgium desperately needed a goal against Argentina, and he scored this terrific header. Yeah. Yeah. Well. I'm, I'm really uh, yeah, so it's great to watch, and um, I mean, your history of the World Cup—you're you, you, obviously going to um, look at the best moments and the worst moments. All I can say about England is that that I think they that I I, mm, I was going to say I think they've been unlucky over the years. Really? Um, and people would say, "Oh, well, you're biased, aren't you?" But I think they have been a bit unlucky. Um, you know, they were playing Argentina and playing quite well, and then Maradona scored this goal with his hand which nearly everybody saw apart from the referee. Yeah. And it changed the course of the game. And, um, you know, we couldn't re recover from that. Yeah. Uh, Frank Lampard, four years ago in South Africa, scored a terrific goal against, guess who, Germany, yeah. uh, who we've had a lot of very close matches with. And it went right over the line, and the entire stadium saw that it was a goal. But again, the linesman and the referee were the only people in the place who didn't see it. Well, maybe that's um, a bit of revenge, you know, it's a bit of justice there, because we did the same thing to them in 1966. Well, there are two points, yes, I know. Uh, yeah, but the, the differences are this. First of all, the, in 1966, no one was quite sure whether the ball had got over the line or not, because it was right. very, very, very close. Yeah. And secondly, there are no television replays instantly available. Okay. And um, in this one, Lampard's you know, goal was, was a long way over the line. And uh, the, if they'd had goal line technology, mm -hmm. which they now have, and everybody had been calling for it for years, um, the, the goal would have stood. It just seems to be um, a great pity that uh, these things happen. Uh, I think the, the 1966 decision, no one really knew it was in or not. Mm. This one, everybody knew it was. Um, and, and also, we're no good at penalties. I think we've been knocked out three times on penalty shootouts. No, it's and, well, uh, in the World Cup, we've actually had six penalty shootout episodes 
uh, since 1990. That includes the World Cup and the Euros. The Euros. Wow, that many. And we've lost them all. Yeah, it was World Cup 90 against Germany. Uh, World Cup uh, Euro 96 against Germany uh, uh, World Cup 98 against Argentina uh, and then we had uh, what uh, uh, we got we got knocked out by Argentina in World Cup 2002 Euros in uh, 2004 well you're you're very good (laughs) it just the list goes on okay but I mean people might say all right well you you know you're no good at taking penalties uh, which is true but the the fact is that it's always a bit of a lottery you know, you, the penalty, the keeper might go the right way, it might not go the right way. Mm. And um, I just think it's a great pity that you finish up having a penalty shootout when you, you want to win the game in open play. You've got to hit the target, though. You've got to hit the target because sometimes right. our, our players just boot the ball over the over the crossbar. So yes. you can't, you can't <laughs> say, that, known. You can't say that's known. not luck. But there was one case when um, Beckham uh, uh, converted a, a a penalty over the crossbar and the pitch was clearly yes the pitch was wet and the the area near the penalty spot was all muddy and he slipped well he yeah Um, you could see that when he put his foot down the ball moved and of course that caused him to fluff the penalty i guess we're looking for excuses aren't we yes i think we probably are but to get back to your original question i can't see england winning this world cup and by the time people listen to this they may well be on their way home we will see we'll see what happens i hope that you're proven wrong but we'll find we'll find out later on this evening yes yeah okay dad thanks very much for uh, agreeing to be on luke's english podcast okay i look forward to hearing the the whole history of the world cup okay very good thank you very much okay bye-bye bye for now okay two things one uh, my dad's not going to hear the whole history of the world cup for uh, all the reasons i've already given and the other thing is he was proven right and we did get knocked out very bad news and all that stuff but I'm getting used to it now. I'm getting used to England losing all the time. And also, I'm I'm getting over it as well, you know. I, I felt pretty disappointed, but, you know, life goes on, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Um, that's it for this episode. 25-minute one. Uh, if you, As I said, if you want to read the history of the World Cup, which I did prepare, but which I'm not reading to you, then you can go to the website for... You can go to the webpage for episode 190 and check it out and you can read it there um more stuff will be uploaded soon um you've been adding listeners to the podcast have been adding their world cup comments to my discussion forum and uh, i plan to record another uh, episode um hopefully sometime this week or the beginning of next week in which i read out more of your comments i think that's quite a good way of doing this because um, you've all got as much to say about the World Cup as me. You know, I'm not like an expert on the World Cup. I'm sure that people listening to this have got plenty of things to say. And because it's an international celebration, it's an international tournament, it's appropriate to hear voices from around the world. Um, so that's going to happen soon. All right. But for now, it's goodbye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today we're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. 
Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation teaching from me, and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.